0: You're obsessed with writing a Radio 4 play. Isn't everybody? Is that a common topic of discussion in, f- in football changing rooms?
1: Not in my experience. Maybe in the modern changing room. What very percentage possibly. What very percentage possibly.
0: of players that you played with listened to Radio 4?
1: Um, probably lower than 1%. Yeah. yeah. When I said Radio 4, they didn't realise it went above Radio 1. Quite right too. <laughs> um, so there's, there's the, the tricky bit. And I, I've been listening to Radio 4 since I was... Seventeen years old, and have thoroughly enjoyed it over the years. And I that, really have. That
0: explains why you are such
1: a, a sort uh, of refined such a individual, refined. Yeah. Ah, I'll take that. I'll take that. Yeah. But yeah, radio play and they're great. Radio plays are great.
0: No, yes, for- they are great. Come on. All forms of play are worse than s- the cinema. The theatre is just a dreadful version of the cinema. That's
2: all versions of play.
0: All versions of play. Let me
2: describe art in a different the way. The theatre is a what compared the theater, to cinema?
0: The theatre is a. Poor choice compared to the cinema. If you'd presented it, we do go to the cinema. I should to watch slap your
1: face and knock that microphone to the floor. To watch
0: a movie or go into the theatre.
1: Have you been to see Gypsy? I haven't. You, you are a disgrace. Right. I, Since, are you are an intelligent man. You're making a fool of yourself. Carry ask, on. Can I
0: ask you a question? Yes. You know when you go to the cinema to see a movie?
1: I haven't been to a the movie. cinema for many, many moons, but anyway, yes.
0: Do you get a break in between?
1: Uh, yes, I do. I go to the toilet.
0: <laughs> there is no, inter- there's no intermission, is there?
1: Uh, Not that I know of. No.
0: If you go to the theatre, do you get an intermission?
1: Yes, apparently you do. And is
0: that because you are so bored that you need to go outside? No, because and I, have to, your I have to
1: go outside and discuss what I've just seen because it's so mind blowing.
0: Mind blowing. And
1: then we realise there's more to come. We have our gin and tonic <laughs> or sparkling water, and back in we go for more. The second half. Oh my Tremendous. God! There's more of this.
2: It's it's the demographic. Frank, frankly, people of a certain age go to the cin- uh, go to the theatre instead of the cinema because they need the break so that they can uh, relieve themselves. And Chinch is certainly of that age. You just don't have fun. In the what, what happened to you at the th- unless, you're to, unless you don't set piece menu live <laughs> did
1: something <laughs> happen, happen to you in a, sep- no, uh, a theatre did, did someone spill ice cream on you as a small child why are you so no, anti-theatre we used
0: to go to the Alhambra in Bradford a lot to right. see the highest form of, of play the only acceptable form of play <laughs> the pantomime
1: oh no, that, no that's, <laughs> that's what I why disagree with scarred. completely <laughs> I disagree with that completely <laughs>
2: Chinch and, and Mrs. Chinch bonded over their love of the theatre. In fact, well, Nick, Nick, Nicky said, Nicky said I'm taking you to the theatre and chintz read, what's that? And then eventually uh, you were educated, weren't you? Oh, so this is, the, this
0: is the fervour of the convert? Yes. Okay. That's, that explains a lot.
1: I, ju- I just love the the feel, the live nature of your, the theatre. most big screen your m- with Jason Statham on it, battering people. Battering That's a shark. not fun, is it?
2: What was your most recent theatre visit to see? Uh, it would have been probably
1: Aladdin. Uh, Imelda Staunton and Gypsy. And it was a sensational show. One woman show, pretty much. And she's extraordinary. I'd love to sit down and interview her. We should get her on the pod. <laughs> Seriously. Sure she's a big say. Luton Town fan, apparently, as is well. Is that right?
2: No, I'm making it up. Um, I went to see Book of Mormon, which... Oh, uh, I've is seen that. ...sensational, yes. so would you agree oh, that that is worth a visit that was to fun. the theatre? We also went Sorry, to
1: sorry, can you just say that again? That was fun. fun. Oh, right. So you enjoyed that? I right. had fun in the theatre. Right. I would so have had more going... fun
0: if it had been a film.
2: <laughs> no, no you wouldn't. I would like them to make a film of it. It would be very good.
0: We also, I should point out, just to make sure that people don't think I'm a complete philistine, we went to Home the wonderful theatre and cinema and art complex in Manchester, which I would recommend to everybody, uh, before Ed arrived, so when we had spare time...
2: About about 1.30 in the afternoon.
0: uh, (laughs) It was the last thing we did before his delivery. No, to see a one-woman play. You reminded me with your one-woman play chat, Chinch, of a woman, whose name I've forgotten, reading the works of Richard Kapuscinski and his account of the death of Haile Selassie. And that was amazing. So, Chinch, you're missing out you've that set the bar
1: a little
2: low for Rory
1: fascinating mm. I, I would love to go brilliant. along and, and hear that you really would you'd enjoy it Chinch
2: Andy Booth and I will make an evening of it <laughs> this is Set Piece Maybe, the podcast for four friends talk football over food joining me Hugh Ferris are Rory Smith welcome back to the country mm. and Andy Hinchcliffe welcome back to the country Stephen Wyeth is currently out of the country. Uh, Chinch, who was the worst player to ever replace you during your career? When you were substituted off, who was the substitute who came on who you oh. would recommend as being the worst oh, let me, example let of me, that?
1: Let me think about that. That's that's an awful thing to... Yes, I know. That's
0: awful. You're a man who How once named an 11 of the worst players <laughs> you've yeah, ever played not, with. Yeah,
1: but not to replace me. They were worse in positions that wasn't my own. That's really cruel to well, they, say, they, well... They might have uh, tried to
2: affect a tactical change with it. So. No,
1: most, most people that... Played in my place were better than I was. Gary Ablett, Lee Briscoe at Sheffield Wednesday, who was kind of my understudy, but in many ways I thought he's actually better than me. Lee
0: Briscoe was not better than you. He was. He wasn't.
1: How do you know? He might have been
2: for a week when How you watched you both play. Ruptured part of your leg. Poppable. Mm. <laughs> he,
1: he was. Who ruptured his leg? I did.
2: I was saying that he might have been better for you, better than you when you had ruptured part of your leg.
1: Who? who it must have been someone who clearly never. Pl- well, who, who would want to play left back? It must be someone who was just played in that position. It's only a you minor aspect of the show. You know, it's it's don't spend too much time. Is this taking, sorry, sorry. Is this taking yeah. too much time? A little bit yeah. longer. He me, I've got, you could have told me you were going to ask me this. Like no, I it's funny when you... It. When you uh, yeah, it's funny that I don't know the answer. Yeah, hilarious. You, you usually come up
2: with somebody very quickly because Phil you're Neville. like
1: that. No, Phil Neville was better than me. Clearly.
2: Mm, was he? <laughs> yes. Was he, though? Yes. Was he, though? Was he playing in the position that was actually meant for him? Uh, so you're not going to answer this or are you just going to come up with an example that will help the gag that I've currently written? Um... Can we just... what? Let's say Lee Briscoe. Yeah. Stephen has replaced Chinch in Portugal like Lee Briscoe did Chinch on the football field. That, that was, was not that was a long, it. long walk down that road. That was not worth um, it. The food has been provided by Rory. Thank you very much indeed, Rory. He's gone to the co-op and provided sandwiches and poppables.
0: You're not conveying the true heroism of
2: my actions. But, well, I was in the second part of that no sentence, God. which was going to be, and as a result, he's sopping wet. You only got wet... You didn't fight Chins. off
1: ninjas or something. You, you got a bit wet.
0: It's a monsoon out there.
1: It's, it's wet.
0: In fact, I spoke to a roofer the other day who said, I, I won't know why.
1: He's um, not called Tony, is he? Yeah. He's, my my roofer's called Tony. I believe
0: all roofers are called oh, Tony. Oh, you have to be yeah. called yeah. Tony. Okay. The rules. okay. The, anyway, he's very nice, Is Tony. Mm. And he, I said to him, yeah, there was a bit of a problem with the roof. And he said, um, well, it's, I said, yeah, I can imagine it's difficult this t- at the moment because of all the rain we've had. And he went, oh, this isn't rain. It's an onslaught, and I thought it is a bloody onslaught. As I got out of the co-op, got out of the, got out the co-op car park, and before I reached the door, looked like a man who'd swum to the shop. It's extraordinary. It's July or August. Yeah, when but you're it's a story you
1: can tell your grandkids now, isn't it? How you got a bit wet getting out of the car to get some sandwiches. It's not a bit wet, Chinch. It's it an slow. I hope you arrived. you arrived. You you're a bit wet. You're damp. D- moist. Moist.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can get in touch with the podcast at setpiecemenu, set Menu at gmail.com, or on Facebook, just search for set piece Menu. Before we come to your correspondence, it's time for another episode of Out of Context Reacher. This is when Andy Hitchcliffe reads <laughs> a paragraph or two from one of Lee Child's masterpieces about a battle-scarred yet ageless and smoking-heart former military policeman, Jack Reacher, in a mix of accents chosen by him on the moment <laughs> that don't really work. So, change this... Is from the first chapter of the novel, Make Me. It goes on to two pages. You'll see, uh, follow the... Uh, Can I have your glasses, please? Because I won't be able to well, read. No, because I'm long-sighted. So will you be able to... You might have to just hold it. F- I thought you lived the in inter- Oh,
1: long-sighted. Sorry, I thought, <laughs> yeah. So,
2: um, so where that am I starting pro- from cool here? Right down the bottom. Yes. Go for it.
1: Is it... Well, it starts with hogs. Yes. Right, okay. Hold on. Here we go, here we go. Can I... Variety of accents. Hogs were rooting animals, so they made sure the hole was damn deep. I put damn in there, it's not really in there, which was not a problem either. Their back hose arm was long and a bit rhythmically, in fluent, articulated seven foot scoops, the hydraulic rams glinting in the electric light, the engine straining and roaring and pausing, the cab falling and rising as each bucket load was dumped aside. When the hole was done, they backed the machine up and turned it around and used the front bucket to push Kiva into his grave, scraping him, rolling him, covering his body in dirt until finally it fell over the lip and thumped down into the electric shadows. Only one thing went wrong, and it happened right
2: then. But what happened? What happened? Well, you'll have to read the book to find out. That was another edition ...of of out-of-context Reacher. Do keep sending them in to us. Mm. I think (laughs) that is something worth repeating once again. Uh, I was particularly hoping for a fight scene, if possible. If anybody would like to find an extract with a fight scene, Uh, there are many from which to choose. I imagine we will not be including a love scene uh, throughout the life of this feature, which I think we can all agree will be relatively short.
0: Uh, A, no. Enjoyed that. Quite erotic. Be definitely have a love scene.
1: No, but, but Reacher is. He, he headbutts people as much as he makes sweet, sweet love to them. So that is, that is Reacher in is that, a nutshell. Is that the same people? <laughs> no, I don't think he headbutts them then makes sweet love to them because it just wouldn't work.
2: <laughs> uh, so to your slightly more thoughtful correspondence, this is from Oliver Ziggle in Geneva, and it is entitled Missing the Point on Clutch. Uh, Rory, last week we spoke about the I know. clutch gene. Hi guys, big fan of the podcast and enjoyed last week's iteration. That said, oh dear, that's another version of but, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's a, that's a fancy but. It seemed to me that there was a conflation between the concepts of being clutch versus having mental toughness. These are related but not interchangeable. My understanding, having lived in both Europe and America and followed sports on both sides of the pond, of being clutch is that it should be defined as overperforming in high-pressure situations compared to normal situations. From a British perspective, you could define it as the antithesis of bottling it. I'm not a basketball fan, but free throws are the easiest way to illustrate the concept. As the sport is so high-scoring, players are given many free throws in a variety of different contexts. Some players might have the same free throw record, whether they are playing in practice, pre-season, regular season, playoffs, NBA finals, or the Olympics. Other players might perform better or worse depending on how pressurized the situation is. Players who perform relatively better in high-stakes games than others would be considered clutch. This is entirely distinct from the kind of mental toughness you were discussing in last week's show, such as needing to recover from injury. I can only imagine how difficult recovering from an ACL injury or similar is, but that's different from what being clutch describes. Uh, He signs off by saying, Sorry about the lengthy email. I've cut it down significantly. Hopefully someone else has explained this more succinctly than I have. No, Oliver. They haven't, so thank you. I would just say by way of excuse-making uh, that we tried to illustrate that any mental toughness displayed by Chinch in overcoming injury was something that he had because he didn't have the clutch gene. A sort of consolation, if you will. Far be it from me to return to the podcast and immediately disagree with a listener.
0: But is that, is that necessarily what clutch is? Does my understanding of clutch w- would be simply the, be the ability to perform in high-pressure situations, to come through in the clutch... Rather than to overperform your ability. Yeah, to perform
1: normally in extreme circumstances. Yeah. Yeah, where most people can't do that. What they would normally do, like a free throw in training, to actually do that under pressure, yeah, it's not overperforming, it's actually being able to carry out what needs to be done
2: so it's the circumstance not the level of performance yeah, it's, it's, your, yeah. it's the ability to maintain your normal level of performance as the circumstances change yes. take that Oliver in Geneva uh, now as promised last week we want to filter in some of the emails you've been sending about our summer series on the legitimate voice owing to the nature of the subject and the incredibly impressive levels of intelligence of the correspondents we'll employ the method of little and often over the coming weeks so here's one for today from Chris Walker who gets on despite his opening barb. morning all I am a long time Twitter slash email contributor who loves the show and it is a staple of my Wednesday Mornings when the show is released on a Wednesday—that is, he says—which is funny because this one may not be. Uh, so sorry. Chris. Has he not heard about the rain? Uh, yes, it is an onslaught. Oh. I was listening to episode one three five, and as a qualified oh history God. teacher, we've done so many episodes. It has firmed up my belief that the current state of football discussion in the football fans' itter- interaction with it is the fault of the education system. I'll add it to the list. He said. Okay. In about nineteen ninety two, take note, Rory. There yeah. could be a chapter in this. Absolutely. Although I've not looked at my How to Teach History he says textbooks for about ten years, but he says that the curriculum changed in 1992. Whereas before it was all about dates and winners of battles and we won the war, it changed so that the focus was now on skills in history and not about the actual content. Although they were quite important. This means that they're are two groups in British society. Those over 40-ish who learnt history the old way and those under 40 who learnt the new way. Those over 40 are lost to what we, as history teachers, he says, are trying to achieve in a well-rounded person who can analyse events, people, etc. Using such concepts... As cause, consequence, change, continuity, empathy for the past and significance. On the whole, I feel that we have done that for the majority of people. And when concerned with something that has got nothing to do with something that they have a vested interest in, their football team, their political party, their kids, you can at least get some kind of worthwhile response. It's when those people talk about their kids, team, political party that the issue starts to be clouded. I had a teacher who drummed it into me that there is no us in history. You look at the past as a neutral observer. I was 11 at the time and had a full set of grandparents who had experienced World War II and so the idea of us and them was something that had been part of any discussion of the war that I had had, that I had, had up, until, up until that point. The new viewpoint my teacher introduced blew my mind and it is something that I value in making me the kind of observer of society that I am. If this idea of us is allowed to foster in the mind then it becomes naturally accepted in the eyes of those with the view." I've marked GCSE and even a couple of A-level exam scripts. That still, in reference to Dunkirk, for instance, would say things like "and we got all our soldiers off the beach." That is from a history teacher, Chris. It's a little perspective. I think my mother would have a few things to say about that as well.
0: Does she not like history teachers?
2: All, all she dislikes all history teachers apart from herself.
0: Well, quite right. Yeah, I, that's interesting about about the, the shift in in how history was taught. And I think that is probably one of the problems with with how people talk about football in general is that the. There are two sort of conflicting versions of, his, of any history as when you discuss them that people do see the, the sort of hundreds of different pasts and the the way that they're interpreted is 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 it basically incompatible and that is that is a problem we are incapable of talking about these subjects with any any kind of neutrality and I actually
2: think that's probably something that is bleeding out into the rest of society as well. Conflating war and football seems like. Um, a slightly facile thing. But if you look at the, the language that is employed, then you can say that that is similar, can't you?
0: Well, yeah, that's always, that's always been the case, that, football, that sport generally is always distrust in quite martial terms, for reasons I don't quite understand, but it's, it seems to be a convention.
2: Finally, this isn't strictly speaking correspondence to the pod, but it is related, and it comes from Aunt Megalian in Minnesota via Rory's boss at the New York Times, Andy Das, who sent on a sign-off to one of the emails to Rory's newsletter with the heading, this was sent to the pod, from Andy, when the newsletter readers sting. Art in this sign off says, Thanks for your columns, Rory, your E. L. James knockoff, and yeah, that podcast you do with the three other guys. There you go. <laughs> The three other guys? Yeah, you are another. We're getting abused without even
1: being named. Yeah, the anonymity. That's the worst of it. That is the worst of it. That's disgraceful.
2: Uh, at setpiece menu or set menu at gmail.com. So then, to this week's conversation. It's not a coincidence, given that he's read every word of the Jack Reacher canon, that Andy Hitchcliffe's texts read like prose from a Lee Childs mm. thriller. Short sentences, heavy punctuation. Lacking in detail. So it was a surprise for us True. all to Cliche. have this complete <laughs> sentence reach our WhatsApp group. At this time of the season, would tactical periodization be an interesting pod? Wrote Mr Hinchcliffe. The unanimous welcoming of Chinch's sudden desire to contribute ahead of a recording was punctured by Steve asserting all too quickly that he would be happy for us to talk about it in the week that he was on holiday. So here we are. Chinch. I cannot believe that you actually constructed a complete sentence. That's that's, that's
1: very. Good. Now I'm going to have to change completely my style. I, never change. Never change. Never so change. Yep, yeah, it's cliche. Carry on being another. <laughs> you, you just you just don't like the way I I.
0: I'm more interested in why you had an idea for content.
1: Because. Apparently, this, this tactical periodisation, it, it, it started in Portugal. It is this did. Very, ah, it did indeed. it might, <laughs> might have the roots. Can you see where the germ of this idea might have come from?
2: Well, there is a stark difference between Manchester United's pre-seasons of this and last year. From what we can uh, tell this summer, there's been a lot of running. Uh, mm. But under Jose Mourinho, the focus was different. He has long been the most famous current proponent of tactical periodisation, a method devised by another Portuguese, Vitor Frade. The, fra, well, it depends fraj. whether you pronounce it with a Portuguese-Portuguese accent or a Brazilian-Portuguese well, accent. Well, given that he's not
0: Brazilian, I would imagine you pronounce it with Portuguese-Portuguese. But, the, the, Portuguese.
2: but the, the Brazilian one is the Frade. 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 Frade is
1: Brazilian. According to Forvego.com. you top, met him? It was both. Yes. Let's go with what you say. Yes, exactly. Frade
2: by another Portuguese Victor and this will be staying in, Vita <laughs> Fragi at the University of Porto. Forvo.com, you have let me down. Essentially, and in very rudimentary terms, this is a method where players both individually and within a team are coached with tactics As the foundation for every session. You don't teach athleticism. You teach athleticism as it benefits a tactical framework, be it attacking or defending. So there's a really easy way
0: of explaining it. And one of the the problems with tactical periodisation and the reasons that Wyeth wanted to be absent
2: for its discussion is just the name is so boring. It's such a boring name. And it autocorrects far too often to a Z when obviously in England we'd have it with an S. And also
1: Steve Wyatt is a man who goes to the gym yet looks like he doesn't. So clearly he's got no interest. <laughs> the, the you man. notice how I said this when he's not here. <laughs> the, the, he, he talks about going to the gym all the time and he has his bottle of water, but <laughs> he doesn't look What's like, he looks effect? like a darts player.
0: <laughs> That's really mean. You're mean. But untrue, would you say? Yes, untrue. He doesn't look like a dart. well, I mean, he, he might look like quite a thin darts player.
1: He's still more a darts player than a, an 800-meter runner. Yes, he doesn't, he? Look he well. likes, he doesn't look like. He t- talks about spin classes and high-intensity programs. Whoa, whoa, he, just, he doesn't do anything. Like, look at his body. You look know, at his you, body.
2: That's all I'm saying to you. You know about his limited uh, intake of food. Yes. Basically, all he allows himself is toasted sandwiches and pizza.
1: And this is a man that goes to the gym and tries to be healthy. But he works
2: it off with blades. Uh, but but I, I, really, I, he does, yeah. I never go to the
1: gym at all. You look great, though. You're just naturally... You've got the jeans, man. Not, I don't mean the jeans you're wearing. I mean no, you've got the, the internal jeans that just naturally you've got the physique mm. of, a, of a god. And
0: wearing a corset.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that's so that's the so prob- Anyway, that's so that's why he doesn't want to be here so the problem, it's all about tactics and fitness and athleticism. Well, but it's really—it's a really simple... Everything that he isn't.
0: It's a really simple concept. Basically, Fraj's idea... I thought it was fraj No, we, <laughs> Hugh, listen. It's Fraj in Portugal, and I suspect it would be fraj in Brazil. But he's Portuguese, so he's Fraj.
1: This is becoming a bit of a sticking point when there's more to talk about than how to pronounce his surname. Should we
0: call him Vitor? Vitor, 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 Victor. Let's just just call him Victor.
2: Victor, Victor, Victor Fred.
0: VF. VF. Anyway, it's a really simple idea, which is that you don't need to get footballers to turn them into 800 meter runners. They're not 800 meters meter runners. That everything they do, whether it's tactical, technical, physical, possibly psychological, I can't remember. Should be in the service of what they're meant to be doing on the pitch. So you and I, I experienced this firsthand. We'll talk about that later, coming up. So you don't do you don't get them in for pre-season, and for the first week or two or
1: whatever it would have been when you were when you were being trained by a variety of dinosaurs. Billy Mac- and Billy McNeil, goodness. Well, and anyway, again, I'll talk about pre-seasons back in the day and how it changed. But anyway, carry on. But
0: you don't get them to run up big hills and. And all that business,
1: <laughs> and and basically run until you and you're run sick. T-
0: run until they're
1: sick.
2: Have I ruined your story, Jim?
1: Have I told the story about Andy people yes. having to swim across the lake because it was too far to run around it because he was so tired? No, anyway, that's no. another story. That, okay. that
2: that is worth teasing. The rest of it we heard before. The
0: you might you might as well. What you need them to be is fit in, and fit and technically able in the way that you need to be need them to be during games. Mm-hmm. So everything is kind of brought together the training sessions are not separated to now you are doing tactical work now you are doing physical work now you are doing technical work everything is brought together under your one they 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 call it a methodology which again is a very boring word but under your one overarching idea the sessions are designed to promote various aspects of that fitness that technical stuff that tactical stuff that you will need it it means that you do one session rather than saying, right, now is half an hour's running or 20 minutes rondos or whatever.
2: Let, let us bring in a third boring thing, a spider diagram, and imagine that tactics is in the middle and everything branches off from that rather than athleticism or mental toughness or whatever it is that is the bedrock to your methodology mm-hmm. you start with tactics and everything works off from that and everything is built and designed around the game plan and the way that it might affect a series of circumstances that happens during the game Did
0: you come across this idea because you read Adam Bates excellent piece on Sky Sport?
1: Um, I can't remember I'm sure there was a piece on the Sky website that was about ones, this and yeah. again I only that's struck a chord literally was it, is that what you yeah. 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 Yes it is yeah. Yeah. that's G- what G- I did was, still but thinking was, about it was it was working with Danny Danny Wilson at Sheffield Wednesday first brought this kind of in and I was really amazed by it in pre-season to be doing this this type of stuff when as a 17 18 year old basically the whole point of pre-season was from nine in the morning till four o'clock in the afternoon was just to run you to a standstill until you were literally sick there was no thought about well, what's the end product what are we looking to achieve pre-season means tiring you out every single day so they weren't thinking about tactics, they weren't thinking about the individual position that you were playing. There wasn't a philosophy to say, well, this is how we want the team to operate. It was just simply pre-season is basically you just run and run and run. And if you said to them, why are we doing this running today? I'm sure they couldn't have told you. Well, it's just tiring you out and getting you fit. But actually it wasn't it was over overuse, it was overwork. And actually that becomes it's, it's not beneficial to you. If you do too much of anything, certainly physically, it's counterproductive and actually works against you. So again, how pre-seasons used to be, there was just because that's how it had always been done and that's what pre-season consisted of because players generally came back overweight. They had six, eight weeks off in the summer. They tend to pile the weight on so they had to maybe go about it this way to get the weight off players where now, yeah. players don't do that type of thing anymore so they don't basically... Hazard. Yeah, exactly. So it's 365 Apparently. days a year. They are professional footballers. So pre-season doesn't need to be like that because you're not working weight off of yeah. people if you needed ever to do that <laughs> but then danny did change it into saying well right the fullbacks are going to go off and do some of this type of running and this is why we do it. we're doing this type of running to get you fit to do the job because this is how we're going to play so the tactics and the fitness the athleticism were built around the position you were playing for the team
2: and where did he get that from Was i don't
1: know i don't know but i just at the time i just i would always thought about it why do goalkeepers train? On their own from the rest of the outfield players it's because they're keepers and because we're outfield players no because the job is so specific i was thinking well why isn't that true for center halves and center forwards and central midfielders and fullbacks because we all run and play in very different ways so why do all the outfield players just run themselves until they're sick yet the goalkeepers go off and do their own stuff shouldn't it be the same you'd be applying that intelligence to the position that you play for every position not just for the goalkeepers. And that's when we started to do it. I thought, this makes perfect sense. I didn't understand because I've, I've never been a coach. Certainly at that stage of my career, I was still being coached, but it was, coaching was starting to change and the thought processes. The balls were out virtually on day one as well. Yeah. Not, not my balls, the, the footballs were out on day one. That I don't know whether we could, we might be able to it's not, take that out. I'm not it's, sure, it sure that a bit,
2: clarifying. No.
1: When I say the balls are out on day one, you, you might look into my personality and think, well, there's absolutely no need for that. But I mean, the footballs <laughs> came out. So all the running that we did, was based around the ball.
2: T- to- talking about flogging a dead horse. Yes. Yeah.
1: Anyway, I, I got be. away with it. I think I got away with it. So again, the same. words <laughs> you didn't draw extra attention to it. We never used to see the balls for a good week <laughs> back in the day. Well, that's we because just,
2: apparently you were overweight. The I wasn't overweight. The I way. was definitely not overweight. Oh, you're talking about the footballs. Uh, the fo- oh God, but that, so the that's,
0: that's something that is, I think, fairly widespread. So not not all managers now would would say that they are. Devotees of tactical periodisation, they wouldn't all describe it as that. But I think all clubs, in some way or other, all modern thinking clubs and coaches will tailor the fitness work, not just to position. But I I went to see Liverpool before the Champions League final on their training camp in Marbella, Spain. Mm. And Andreas Kornmeier, who's the fitness coach, said to me that they they are able in the course of training sessions, and I don't know how they do this, he wouldn't tell me how they do it, to change how much players are running. So I think they've got an idea of the workload every player's had over the course of the season, and they will then, if Andy Robertson is getting too close to his red zone or whatever, they will say, Andy, you can stop. Either they'll pull him out of the session.
1: That's why they wear these. I've seen these vests the and with a GPS vest. Yeah, vest. Yeah. That's because they can then say, we know exactly, you can't tell us I've run this. We can actually show you, and we know how much you've run. So then we can change and yeah. tailor. And so you're doing too, much. we don't need to do that. We can ease off. So that's why they wear them.
0: But it's the type and the type of exercise they all need as well. So fullbacks, as, as Chint says, need to look, they need a different body shape to central, to, Six foot tall centre forwards or central defenders or whatever. So, the, the same type of running, not just in pre season but throughout the season, the same type of training doesn't work for them. So, they, there is a recognition that that you need to be much more bespoke, I think, with everybody. So, when did this
1: first start to kind of. Cause you heard about Jose Mourinho talking about it. There's a lot of these kind of. Obviously, from Portugal anyway. But there's a lot of coaches, top coaches who use this method. When did it first. Because I probably around 2000 with, with Danny Wilson was the first time I ever saw us change not just during the course of the season, the training, but certainly in pre-season, it was all adapted to it, it the players and the team and the tactics. When Was was that about... Has it been around for a lot longer than it that? It isn't
0: impossible that Danny Wilson got some sort of... I don't know, that, that through... The thing about coaching is that there's... And these developments, these innovations, is this, the, 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 the networks in football are really weird. So I'm going to make one up off the, top, off the top of my head. But it could be that Danny Wilson... Sp- got it from say Andy Roxburgh who was the Scotland manager in 1990 but has always been a kind of leading light in coaching and is a, a UEFA technical assessor or something that if that you know if, if Danny Wilson had done a course with Andy Roxburgh and Andy Roxburgh had got it from Bobby Robson and Bobby Robson had got it from Paul. How, how
1: long knows. has this theory been around is it so a I long think, time
0: I think Fraj and his co-ops There's a guy at the University of Lisbon who who's significant in it as well whose name I've forgotten I think it's you're probably looking at early 90s that they they started mm-hmm. to really kind of it started to to, be, to coalesce and crystallise and become a thing that Portuguese coaches did but it kind of explains the success that Portugal have had not just a, not just in terms of creating managers it's, just in, it's a tiny country Portugal mm-hmm. that you, I mean, you own much of the southern tip of I it I do so yeah. yeah the Algarve the, is
1: mine exactly
0: mm-hmm. king of the Algarve they call
1: him yes well they call me other things as well but king of the Algarve will stick with that
0: Don Andre they call him and the yeah I guess that it partly explains not just the success they've had in, man- in producing managers but Although I must have told my Mourinho manager story before. Well, It seems a little vague. About asking him why Portugal created so many managers. And he just went, like who? And I went, well, you, André Villas-Boas, Vitor Pereira, Fernando Santos. And he just went, I don't see a pattern. It's really just me. <laughs> and the, you sort of think, well, Jose, fine. Mm. Mm. But, yeah, I wonder if it partly explains Portugal's success. Because it gave them an edge. It, it was a way of, of their players being better prepared or... Prepared more suitably for their positions than for quite a long time. A lot of players in other countries.
1: So you can't see Danny. Well, he was an intelligent, forward-thinking coach for sure. He wouldn't have just come up with this concept himself because it clearly no, what it you're saying is very much along the lines of, of that did, type of did plan. Did Danny
0: Wilson ever work with Bobby Robson?
1: Oh uh, well, we can try and find out, can't we? I, off the top of my head, absolutely no idea. I mean my phone's but in my pocket. I would get it. But, Stanley, but, in, but in terms of coaches, if you're I if you're if you're a top coach, you should be assessing what everyone yeah. else is doing. You should be seeing Willie Donachie at Everton was was travelling around Europe watching training sessions. Is that speaking, right? Yeah, he used to go to Italy and see what they were doing, speak to the hierarchy, and find out exactly what was going on, and then he could then maybe adapt it and bring it into the country. So. I don't really if he had to pay tax to bring it into the country, but anyway. <laughs>
0: did he just do it in a sort of Renee and Renata spoof Italian voice? No, he
1: didn't. <laughs> no, he was he was as Scottish as you can be. No messing. Yeah, That's basically Willie.
0: But there's always connections within football that you don't kind of see. So there were a lot of Scottish players in Italy in the 80s and 90s, or in the 80s certainly, so that, that there would have been people that Willie knew from through I don't know through Joe Jordan or something do you know what I mean there's there's lots and lots of weird connections within football and it may be that Danny Wilson benefited from, from some of those I think at that stage I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of coaches smart coaches weren't thinking hang on this is a bit stupid we don't need to just be running these fellas the whole time in pre-season we need to that, that, i mean it's not, it's such an easy idea that a left back should look physically different to a center half that someone was, someone it's whether, you, some, it's
1: whether you look different or not because you can physically look different but what you're coached and trained to be able to do physically to run 60 if you if you're an overlapping fullback playing in a 442 you need to be able to run 50 60 yards recover do it again do it again it's pointless being able to run 10 yards consistently because an overlapping fullback yeah. so again it's actually gauge it's it's not the body shape it's actually if you're playing in that position this is how you need to be able to basically cover the ground. But also, do you understand about what everybody else positionally is doing when you're looking to do what you're doing? So again, it has to be go hand in hand with tactics. Mm. It's pointless just going on an overlapping run if basically the ball's not in the right position to enable you to affect the or, play. Or, so it's you understanding. To do that. or you don't want do Exactly. So you change it. So that's the whole point. Is saying, how are we going to play? How are we, With this bunch of players, how are we going to play? And then we school everybody in how we're going to play and then get them fit enough and understanding everything that needs to be done for that position that they're playing. I know it's raining, Hugh. It's, it's, it's a, raining. It's not raining. It's not you, an onslaught. It's it an onslaught.
2: It's raining. It, it is an onslaught. But the, in,
0: the other interesting thing about periodisation is that th- it's not just the physical it's, side of it. It's not, athlet- it's not just the athletic side of it. Yep. It's, the, it's the technique side mm-hmm. that, ha- that is, again, kind of corralled to the way that a team wants to play. So there's no point doing certain technical exercises as a coach. Obviously, n- most coaches at the elite level are not saying this is how you control a football, this is, you, know, you, you need to practice shooting with your left foot, although a lot of players need to practice shooting with their left feet. Mm-hmm. But they will, again, tailor the, the technical work that they do with the players to not only their position but the, the general kind of scheme of the of the team, which is again makes a huge amount of sense. Just the technical sort of skill set you need as a central midfielder mm-hmm. is different to the technical skill set you need as a as a hoofing fullback.
1: As a, a hoofing fullback, how very dare you! But anyway, so what so we used did, to did, did do. Did I point to, at you? you well, you looking at me and your hand was raised in my direction? So you didn't point, but you were. gesture. Basically, at you. you meant me. So what yeah. we used to do was was all the fullbacks together with with nobody else would do a certain amount of physical work to get you able to cover the ground. Then they used to develop that and say, well, you're going to cover the ground, then we're going to lay a ball in for you, you're going to cross it. The next layer of that is they put centre-forwards into it as well. So then say you're covering the ground, you've got to compose yourself, deliver the ball, the centre-forwards are then got to understand what you're looking to do when you deliver. So it starts from the individual and then it blossoms out to two players, three players, eventually the whole team. But that's the whole point. We're doing it with working with Danny that pre-season. It really did strike me. Is th- this makes more sense than anything else. Why on earth for 15 years were we just running round and round and round, clumps of trees until we were sick? <laughs> that which is honestly, that is what yeah. we used to do. And it was just, well, that was the done thing. And if you couldn't do it, there was something wrong with you. You're only 17, you should be able to run all day. What? And be sick all day as well. Yeah, yeah because the next morning you can't move because you're stiff as a board. There was no warm down. There yeah. was no thought going into what we were doing. It's just what had been done previously. So let's just carry on when that thinking changed. That's when players physically changed. Their thinking changed and they were, they were
2: better players. Is it not symptomatic of the malaise that infected English football when the changes started to happen um, in the mid to late 90s? Because it's The signing he, of Philippe Albert. Yeah, exactly. that, was. That, was the, that was the moment. But when, I remember Rude Hullett, when he was Chelsea manager, said something along the lines of, my players don't have to run all the time. No. They can sometimes take a break. And everybody was horrified. He mm. said, so what, what? Oh, these lazy foreigners. But if you, know, it, if you watch a
1: game, the players aren't constantly exactly. running. The so whole he, was, point. he
2: was trying to illustrate the point that because of the way that his team was set up tactically, he may, he may have said it after when he was a pundit, but he, the way that his teams were set up tactically, it meant that clearly there would be a focus on mm. certain aspects of it both in terms of where it was in the field, but also the way that you were w- wanting to play against the opposition. So he would say, that, no, there, there are occasions where my players are able to take a breather to allow them to be explosive yes, in the moment that they need to be exactly. the most. And I remember there being just such uproar to these comments. And, and that is, I don't know whether it was because he was a fan of tactical periodization or it met our friend Victor, or whether that was actually before it kind of got in the mainstream, or he didn't I'm, know Danny Wilson, he, yeah. but, but something clearly... was was happening that that English football was not aware of. So
0: I think we, yeah, you've got to be slightly careful about kind of isolating English football as being uniquely prehistoric. I think that until the 70s, probably even across Europe, training, pre-season training was running, running was separate. You did certain things the way they'd always been done because that's the way they'd always been done. There was a kind of unthinking acceptance of it. There'll have been certain coaches that, that thought about it a bit more and changed things. But I think it's probably the 70s and 80s that it starts It starts to really change on continental Europe, that these ideas start to shift and there's a, a bit more kind of thought other than we need you to be physically hard they'll be and, and tough and be able to run all day. They're, they're, that's when, I don't know, AC Milan and, and Ajax and Barcelona and whatever will have been thinking about actually maybe that this isn't the best way to train. Mm-hmm. The other bizarre thing, of course, is that 60s and 70s when they were introducing all this stuff, all the players smoked, which mm. God knows how they did preseason on twenty a day. But anyway, the and it just took England a, an extra ten, fifteen, twenty years to catch up. But that's a concept that I think is probably easily explained by Simon Cooper and Stefan Schimansky in the forever quoted Socronomics that you that everyone has cited a million times. But it's to do with the network of the kind of network of knowledge that Western Europe has always been um, football's kind of central center of knowledge and that the the reason that innovations happen there more quickly than elsewhere is because you've got all these different ideas could, arising over in a place where there's porous borders so you can go to Amsterdam and see what Ajax are doing yeah. you can go to Italy and see what Milan are doing you can go to Germany and see what Munich are doing really easily England traditionally was part of that network but in the 80s and 90s forgot to be to be part of it mainly because of the Heissel ban so it kind of took itself apart from the kind of the, the engine of intelligence in football and it suffered in millions of different ways but I would guess that part of the reason that when Chinch was playing in the, in the, in the mid to late 90s that foreign players would, would have been coming in and being surprised by the way that English clubs trained which I imagine they were mm-hmm. uh, that's because England hadn't quite caught up with those, those ideas because it wasn't part of the, that knowledge nexus anymore and then by the time you retired say mm-hmm. it probably was because there, was, there were enough foreign players and foreign coaches yeah, yeah. here that the ideas had come across as well but, Chinch, is this an
2: onslaught? I mean, you can hear the this rain. This is heavy. Back.
1: It's heavy rain. It's it's heavy rain. Would
2: you go for a topless run in it? Um,
1: <laughs> I'd go for a run in it because it's great to run in the rain. But sir, well, why would I take my top off? Just, oh, you uh, know. Just, I don't want crowds of people following me. Do I, people just, come to I look keep at. a vest on. You're
2: not Rocky. A flimsy vest. Um, the, the a flimsy see-through les- <laughs> vest. A <laughs> string vest. you heavier than your whole body. Um, the, the, the geographical point, uh, we will take it back to Portugal mm-hmm. um, because it came about through our friend Victor's work during the 90s, but, but it really, would you say, Rory, kind of r- came to our attention in the mainstream or globally as when Jose Mourinho with Porto won the Champions League 2003-2004. Um, did, did it then start to be something that we talked about as being the methodology that had been created by um, Vita Fraj?
0: No, I'd say that the the key point was when I reported on it two years ago, and people suddenly realised that this was a guy you could go and speak to. I think that was mm. the. No, I think to be honest, I, d- I don't think when. So all, all all movements like that need a success to to kind of prove their worth, even though the success doesn't actually prove their worth. They are they are valid and valuable, even if a team using that method never wins the Champions League. That that doesn't prove anything. It just it just it's just a thing that happens. But that probably yeah that draws attention. Mourinho obviously becoming the most high profile manager of of his generation for for ten years or so. That helps because you then get a, a a load of coaches from across Europe who want to copy his methods. So people don't see his training sessions; they they see what he's doing and they think right this this guy knows what
1: he's talking about. Let's do that. You then get and has he always acknowledged where this methodology came from? He didn't. He didn't say this is this is my thinking.
0: No, I don't think he's ever said that.
1: Mm.
0: I don't know, and I might be wrong. I've not done a comprehensive study on it, mm. but I don't think he's ever been particularly keen to say... I think his relationship with, with Vitor Farage is good. I think they, they, they are mutual admirers, and Farage certainly is very really proud of him and you know, realises what he's done for sort of promoting the idea of tactical periodisation. Mourinho's not really the sort who would go around preaching the gospel of Vitor, Vitor Farage and saying, this guy was my inspiration I went to interview him I'm, I'm really baffled by this because I, I was I was interested for a while I suppose I still am in kind of it's a good job really because we're doing a podcast on it I was well hang on let me finish my sentence change sorry I kind of had this idea I think it was when I was at the other times I had this idea that I wanted to um, I wanted to go and speak to the people who were the kind of like theoretical grandfathers of modern football the ones you haven't heard about. So not like Cruyff. So it's the, really easy to the say... The
2: founding fathers.
0: So it's really easy to be like, oh yeah, well, of course, of course, you know, all of the modern principles of the game are founded by Johan Cruyff. But
1: well, that's what I'm saying about Mourinho and his success, whether yeah. it needed to be that. Did, has he always... Not, not that he has to trumpet it, but has he said, this is not I just, think, I came up with this, this, no, this I don't do It
0: would be completely wrong to say that Mourinho has, has claimed credit for it. No. But I don't think he... he like makes a point of mentioning Farage in every interview about his methodology. I don't. I don't think that's that. That's true either. But that is
1: where it came from.
0: But that is where it came from. That that is that. That is the Portuguese school of coaching. That is what they do. That's what I mean, Vias Boas would have done the same. And Pereira and all the other Marco Silver. I'm sure. I'm sure they are all periodization.
1: Want me to pop down to my local Portuguese team, Porto Menens, and see how they're doing things? I'd love to do that in 2019. I'd love you to do that. I, I will go and do that. I will do I that. I'll sure put to- my shorts and boots on. Go down there. And make a show of myself
0: but, the, but the <laughs> he'll run naked in the rain someone said to me "I'm never rains to, in the algarve i'm gonna I'm, I'm I'm match this story even though no one gives it a flying <laughs> the someone said someone mentioned france so I, I was talking to someone about this about someone like juan Malilo, who is a spanish coach who was the inventor of the four two three one he was the first coach who ever played 4-2-3-1, Lilo was a huge influence on Benitez, but also on Guardiola. Guardiola went to Sinaloa in Mexico just to play for Lilo. So stories like that really interest me. These people who've not really had success themselves, but have this huge lasting impact on the game. And someone said to me, oh, well, you know, if you do that, you've got to talk about Vitor Farage. And I was a bit like, right, okay, who's that? And then, went, oh, he's the guy who kind of inspired Mourinho. Didn't explain what it was. And I doodled it, and there's not a vast amount knocking about about Vitor Farage, which suggests, going back to what Chinch said, that, or in fact, to what you said, I don't think even Mourinho's success made us think about tactical periodisation, partly because... We were fooled, not fooled. Because Mourinho's success always seemed to be about, to be about Mourinho's charisma. And partly does it Chelsea his success seemed to be about Roman Ramos, which is Wallet. So it was assumed that the the two great kind of ingredients in, in this Mourinho success story were his own ability as a leader. And in Britain particularly yeah. we always think about the kind of great man theory of history when it comes to managers and it's it's Clough and it's Reevee and it's and it's Shantley and it's Busby and it's these are the these these great leaders of men who kind of who
2: inspire not really tactically or technically or whatever, but, but funnily enough, all of those have um, either assistants or groups of people uh, helping them. Just as a just as yeah. a side point, isn't it? It's, but but, but, but that it's with hindsight that we apply the significance. Yeah. So the the the, the, the Mourinho signif- the significance of Mourinho winning the Champions League with Porto in two thousand and four. Uh, connected to tactical periodisation wasn't happening at the time, but it's something that we now retrospect, retrospectively apply to that being significant. Well, yeah, uh, significant.
0: And I think that, so I think if you, yeah, what happens is that we look at Mourinho initially and we think he's really charismatic. He's got this coat, this lovely salt and pepper hair. And then we think, well, actually, it's about Romero Abramovich's wallet. And then after a while you think, well, it can't just be that, so what else is it? And that's when you start to investigate. And this is going to sound really stupid, but I think the other thing is, in Portugal, tactical periodisation isn't really of, of a huge amount of interest to the media does does it's kind of just what happens that's what that's what they're used to it's not really a big deal that like there's this guy at the university of porto i think in in the rest of europe and certainly in the anglophone world to an extent it's to do with with people wanting to write and read stuff that after a while, it's no longer enough to be like, isn't Mourinho charismatic, or doesn't he sign a lot of players, or whatever. You, there's always there's journalists and there's readers and there's bloggers and whatever who want to who want something a bit deeper, and it, that that process takes a bit of time, and you see it with quite a lot of quite a lot of things. So when I don't know when like Barcelona, that's quite a, probably quite an example. So when Barcelona have that great team in 2009, that first great Guardiola team, the the initial coverage is all about these wonderful players and Messi and Xavi and Iniesta, then it's about Guardiola and then it's La Masia mm-hmm. and, and the methods at La Masia and then it's Cruyff and the influence on La Masia and then it's kind of, well, this is what it's like for the people at La Masia and these are the methods that they use at the coaching and rondos and blah, blah, blah. It's, it takes a while for everyone, the entire football culture, to, to want to get into that level of detail and I suppose that what Mourinho did... Is have enough success over enough period of time that it l- allowed us to keep on talking about him and what made him successful to the point when we got to the bit that had the boring name attached to it, and some w- and, so, and people started to think maybe we should find out what that boring name means. But
1: it's it's not just frivolous; it's actually the nuts and bolts of someone's success. It's a yeah. huge. It is a huge part. How but you that, train your players that, is a huge part in what you produce on the pitch to enable you to win competitions consistently. So it is. As it's, ever, very, it's
0: very important. As ever, Chinch has happened upon a much bigger topic, which is that. We, it's probably the way we generally think about managers, certainly in Britain and to an extent around Europe, it's probably the wrong, the wrong way around. We always think straight away about their charisma. The first thing when a manager starts being successful that we should probably think about is, is how they're working on the has training
1: Guardiola, has Guardiola changed that, do you feel? Maybe it's come a little bit too late because we should have been thinking on those terms with other coaches that have come before him. Is Guardiola yeah. the one where we're now looking at his methodology? It's not just about his charisma, the great players that he buys. It's how... He produces the, and develops those players, like Raheem Sterling, like Kevin De Bruyne. And what is he doing with them? People want to know. It's not just about him as a personality; it's about how he, he trains and coaches yeah, his players, and that's been going on for a lot longer than Guardiola.
0: We're at the same stage as with Guardiola, as we yeah, where people want to know right what so what he's turned Raheem Sterling into this brilliant finisher and yeah. this complete forward. So how how's he done it? Yeah. But the problem is that to an extent, well, there's kind of twin problems there. One is that descriptions of what happens in training are quite dull. And the other is that Duardi doesn't want to talk about it. Mm. Managers generally do not want to talk about what they're doing on the training pitch. Well,
1: that's why we want to know more. Because exactly. if not th- they, they, do they think it's boring or they don't no, want to no, give no, their no, secrets no, no. away? No, no, no. They don't want to give that. Partly, it's, I think 90%
0: is that they don't want to give their secrets away and 10% is that there isn't really any secret. It's just hard work. Mm. There's, there's, there's a little bit of both in there. But the, the, this ties into something we talked about a lot, which is if you think about the Duardiola story of how of what he does is fascinating. But it's really hard to tell it if he won't talk about it. Mm. It's really hard to, to, to praise him for his work if his if his view is is basically you don't understand you won't you wouldn't understand. So I'm not going to
2: tell you. Uh, let's f- finish the conversation by saying how crucial is tactical periodization to other philosophies? As in, isn't that common sense? Because yeah. we, we talked a lot about. What you used to do, Chinch, which wasn't. Well, it seems
1: sense. common sense now, but for such a long time, it, it, it wasn't. It, was so revolu- yeah, yeah. it would have been revolutionary. So yeah.
2: once, it, once it ends its revolutionary period, is it now the basis for so many other philosophies? Because it is essentially common sense. Because Guardiola, it, he, he is not, you would say, a disciple of tactical periodization as we have described it or as Jose Mourinho would employ it, but he still does. Employ the theory yeah. behind tactical it, yeah. periodization yeah. into he, he he uses tactics at well, the heart, heart of everything, and then he builds a team around so, that philosophy. So
0: what Fraj said to me was that it's an, tactical periodization isn't isn't a is not a philosophy. It's 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 a way of working. You t- Sam Allardyce, John Beck, Tony Pulis they they could all use tactical periodi- periodization to play, to make their teams play the way they want is to play. It's, yes, it's a method and a, guadi- method a methodology. Yes. methodology. and Guardiola could could use it. to to get his team to play the way that he wants to play it's not about style I think aspects of it are now embedded within pretty much every form of elite football every team every coach will have elements
2: that are borrowed from that Gospel, surely but in elite sport, whether it be rugby, yeah. any
1: any team yeah, sport, well, surely Eddie Jones, sti- Eddie Jones, yeah. uh,
2: the uh, England uh, head coach, uses tactical periodisation and has been to meet, I think, Victor Farge. Is that right? I think so. Yeah. I wonder if he had as nice, ta- nice a time Victor. with him as I did. Uh, we call him Victor. The <laughs>
0: yeah. the I bet he didn't speak to him for four hours in Portuguese. The oh, despite not really understanding Portuguese, <laughs> the the tape had to be translated. But the one other thing that we should point out, the Danny Wilson element to it, is that these things. Just because one person comes up with it doesn't mean that somebody else hasn't come up with it separately. So Danny Wilson might have got the idea for it, or the ideas behind it, the same ideas. I'm sure he did, yeah. From yeah. somewhere completely different, because yeah. all of these things were happening roughly at the same time, but in very different places, and often, or at least sometimes, unrelated. So it's unlikely that Farage was the only person who thought, do you know what? You don't need to run, run these players in pre-season, you need to get them... To be fit in the way that you need, to need them to be fit. We to need the to run them, the but specifically run yeah. them, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: and don't overdo it because it just it's, it's just well, it's it. counterproductive. They,
0: they still they still work harder in pre season yeah. than they do during the course of the season. Mm. There, there is more kind of physical burden on them.
1: It was it was with Willie Donnick again at Everton. Surely Willie, with again being across most things in terms of of coaching, it was all about quality, not quantity. Mm. If The quality's there; you can do short bursts replicating what happens in a match. You don't need to do it for two hours. You do it in small chunks of a couple of minutes and then you rest and you think and then you set yourself up and you go again and you go again because that is what a game is. Yeah. So again, you're breaking it down and saying, what are we looking to achieve on a match day? Well, we break it down into the collective, to the individual. And again, it must all stem from, from these ideas going back through time. But it, I, just, I just, again, we did talk about Guardiola saying this is so complicated that you wouldn't understand it. Players understand it. Yeah. So, uh, not being disrespectful in any way, but if the players can take it on board and adapt and become different players, then surely if he were to explain to us, we would be he he might, able to he, understand a lot as of well. There's a,
2: a lot of hours that he spends with the players. Yeah. So he, he might give the excuse that well, I'm, I'm not going to spend a lot of hours with you. And a lot of it it Me, was, he'd
1: love to spend many hours. Well, going the, to the theatre. The
2: <laughs> a lot of it. He likes the theatre, Pat. He, does like he, the theater. he maybe oh, doesn't. Really? He maybe doesn't know
0: that the cinema exists. <laughs> the, the. With the players, I think a lot. Of the... Is it kinesthetic learning? They call it kinesthetic, Kinesthetic
2: kinesthesis,
1: kinesiology. No, that's something else. <laughs> is it? It's the, the kinesthetics. It's it like learning
0: physically. Yes. So they don't necessarily. Pep doesn't sort of sit them down with like a whiteboard and say, so "This is this is." So it's muscle memory. Well, it's muscle memory, but it's partly that they learn movement by rote, don't they? They sort of you, at this point you run there. At this point you so that mm-hmm. the complication is is removed because. And again, not wanting to insult the players, but. The players don't have things explained to them. They have things demonstrated for them, and then they do them, and then the, they learn the, them. That's the, how they learn The Roy
2: it. Hodgson way, basically. Yeah, well,
0: it's, I think everybody does it. I think you don't want to sit down and have to explain, like, a 40-page dossier to anybody, and no one wants to sit down and have a 40, 40-page dossier explained to them. It'd be boring. Andy Boothwood, Yeah, he'd, he'd love, love that. As long, he'd as, love a, as
1: long as you're in a KFC, he'll be fine. <laughs>
0: Uh, I, I did know. have another point to make, but he's ruined <laughs> it. Right? Yes,
2: you're in, uh, Ch- Chinch and Andy B regularly tend to ruin the thread of most people's Sorry. Uh, Sorry. ability to remember stuff. But I was going to say that Pe-
0: Pep probably would explain it to Chinch, but the, the he, it's not to do with intelligence levels. As I say, partly it's not wanted to avoid state state secrets or what they feel are state secrets. It's partly I think a fear that they might it might look a bit a little bit emperor's new clothesy. Does a lot of what they do. a lot of what coaches do is relatively common sense, and it's kind of. Get, get people fitter and then make them pass the ball properly mm-hmm. but also there is an assumption that anyone who is not who is not in football doesn't c- cannot possibly understand football
1: you still believe that's true in yeah,
0: Guardiola d- would sw- and a million t- for Guardiola more than, more than pretty Seriously? much anybody else yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. So you have, yeah. to, be,
1: you times, have yeah. to be involved yes. in the game to understand yeah, what yeah, you're d- talking you about t- really?
0: if you've not been in- involved in the game then you, you clearly just couldn't understand it and the, the, my favourite thing about that's it is that's a legitimate voice point we will get we will get if this goes to the wrong type of Manchester City fan, they'll complain about it. Managers say that to journalists all the time. They think it of fans too. And that's really important to, to remember that they, they won't explain it to, to journalists. They sure as hell are not going to explain it to fans. Does mm. they hold us all in equal contempt. And it's not, just, it's not just Pep, but it's it's widespread in football. So he might explain it to Chinch because he might think, he might remember Chinch. He might think that guy gets it. But he wouldn't explain it to me, me or Hugh. But Victor Fraser. Even, even when Hugh's asking him descriptive questions on stage.
1: was he? A pl- did, did he play the game? But he ignores, no. by the way. So he's, he's someone who's come up with these theories. He's a professor. Pro- so he's never played the game yet. I mean, he's probably kicked a ball around. But he's, he wasn't a professional player I don't think he was yet. A professional so again, you've got coaches, modern coaches, working along the lines of someone that never played the game, but then they can't explain. Won't, it doesn't make sense. Not can't won't won't, won't yes. explain.
2: And at that moment, for no other reason than the time has expired, we shall move on to our next segment, which is it's time for Nevermind Jack and Ori. What a soccer story! This is when Andy tells the tale from his playing days with all that odd behaviour and libel-worthy details removed. Well, this is I'm going
1: for a poignant story here because I do tell a lot of hilarious stories, that, which noted, noted, which people around the globe will will chuckle about for days. But this one is about, it's a story about my dear old dad, who sadly passed away about seven years ago. Now, for most young players, the, your mum and dad kind of, back in the day when you were kind of playing at school, then you were playing at county level, and eventually you join a, a, a club. It's not the same as it, as it is now with academies. It was basically a loose association with a club. But from kind of 10, 11 years old, they used to basically ferry you about all over the place, do everything for you. On Sundays, you used to go and play for, for kind of a city affiliated team. Mum used to clean my boots, although eventually she made me clean them because she realized that she shouldn't be doing that. But again, they did absolutely everything for me. I'm not sure it's exactly the same these days because of the academy setups. It's maybe a little bit different, but I really appreciate growing up what my mum and dad did for me. Sadly, my mum passed away when I was about 19, so she never saw the career, the wondrous career that I had, which is such a, such a shame. But my dad, it was really odd because through all that stuff you go through as a youngster, when I was 27 and called up for England, my first game was away in Moldova. So clearly it's not an easy game to go and watch. But you think for all the hard work they put in when you're a kid, if you get a game for your country, you think that would be the match that they would be falling over themselves to, to attend because it's kind of the end of the line, isn't it? For all, it's not that you do it for those reasons as a parent. You're doing it to support your child. But if you get that far... But my first home game for England was at, at Wembley against Poland in, I think it's October 96. And at the time, I never thought about it, because obviously I had kids of my own and everything else. And I was speaking to my dad, and I said, I've got the first England game at Wembley. Are you, are you going to come along and, and watch the game? Thinking naturally, he'd say, yeah. And he said, well, is it on telly? <laughs> Seriously. And he, I said, well, yeah, it will be. And he said, well, you'd probably get a better view from, from the couch, wouldn't you? And I kind of said... <laughs> yeah you, you probably would because there's loads of cameras and things and but and i never thought about it at the time i just thought he cli- but then as time went by and then obviously when he passed away it's only something i thought about recently with having your own kids and seeing them get married and develop and you think what would stop me what would make me think that i'd rather watch my son play for his country on telly rather than actually travel to wembley at my expense <laughs> and watch him play it's really odd and obviously all the stuff that you go through as a kid I, I don't know, again, you just look back and you think, oh my God, I never actually brought it up at the time saying, why on earth do you want to stay at home and sit on the couch and watch it on TV? Why don't you want to be in the crowd? Was so it's a very strange, st- and actually I feel really that maybe I did something to offend him, but it, it didn't seem that way. It just seemed genuinely that he would have a better time <laughs> watching <laughs> me play on the TV than actually physically being there and applauding me as you walk out with an England team. I just thought nothing would stop me from supporting my kids do anything, let alone Playing for a national team at Wembley. It's really was odd. He, looking was, back, I find it really strange. Was now. he a football fan? He was a big rugby player. Yeah. Um he was a, a winger. So I obviously played rugby as a kid, played rugby at grammar school and stuff. So he was a big supporter of that. But he again he was so supportive across the board. You know, he wanted me to go into football, give it a good try for two years. If it didn't work out, my education was still there. So he was Absolutely everything, and so supportive, and we made all the decisions together. I I realised going to Man City, there were other clubs, Blackburn and Man United, I never even knew about that were interested in taking me on at that age, but because I'd grown up with a a pool of young players that went to City, that was naturally where my dad said, it makes sense for you to go along with that. So all these things I found out later in life that he'd done for me, and the decisions that had really helped me out, it's kind of when it really came to the crunch, and there was an opportunity to pay him back and say, we're going to get you a ticket, you'll have a great seat, you'll be able to watch yourself... He said, no, I'd rather watch it on the TV. And I, I don't know whether, I, I don't know what would have caused that. But again, it was something at the time I said, okay. And I went off to prepare for the game. Never thought about it until maybe 15, 20 years later, thinking about the soccer stories. And I thought, that's really something that I could not envisage. It's like with Ed. If he went on to anything that he achieves, school plays, you're going to do your damnedest totally. to be there, aren't not you? Not movies. Plays. If he's going to a play, I'm not if, going if he's, do, if he's If he's the, the leading gypsy I'm not with going. a wig on and some lipstick, you would go. I'm not, Nothing not, would stop you. Going to the theatre, getting a film, Ed. Even then, some heavy rain wouldn't stop you getting there. But play, I just find it really odd. And then the relationship you have, you start looking back, and then you start to think, hang on, was it really everything that I thought it was? So again, you start to second guess everything. This is getting really deep. It is, it is. But it was just that one instance that I don't know why it suddenly occurred, hadn't thought about I it. I love the tonality of the to, time
0: to sort of stories. Some of them are just banter,
1: and others are deep seated sort of personal introspections. Hashtag dance, yeah.
2: hashtag but, emotion. But
1: that's why I, I want the balance. I want to bring this up to get people thinking.
2: Would, what, can you remember the weather? on that day it was a particularly cold October don't give him an excuse and what was the game at Poland Poland yes maybe it was a World Cup qualifying, qualifying game this,
1: we, won, well, we went 1-0 down not my fault at all and Alan Shearer got us out of jail big time and we won 2-1 well, but that's not the point
2: whether we lost 4-0 or 1-20 a 0-0 in Saudi Arabia you can understand like playing in an FA Cup plan. final
1: and turning and your wife, did ex-wife did it, being there <laughs> it, it, you want your family did, did he come to your Cup to final? he didn't know. again oh uh, I didn't even realise you didn't come to the Cup final either oh man he must have hated me <laughs> what did I do it's because I, cl- I didn't clean my own boots that must have been it if I had have clean my own boots from 10 years old maybe did it would you have been different did go to watch when you played for City um, yeah occasionally yeah but not the, the kind of the junior teams absolutely because well, I, I couldn't drive so he needed to take me there but, but like, again when you, as you when got you made older you, when you made your first yeah, but debut. like just, but now you're making me think even more about this Everton n- no and then well, the, the it cup how, final, it's a tough drive isn't it not really it's yeah. 35 minutes well, I would have put on a chauffeur for him. Not, I'd have actually taken the him there. Not a the game day. So not I'm going to I'm gonna have to go away and have a damn good think you about really this because you've really opened up a, a mental can of worms well, for me. No, I haven't. No, Rory, I'm looking at Rory. Nor you Rory's haven't.
2: Rory? You, you, came, you came to the you party. Did, yeah, yeah but I true. didn't know
1: about the cup final. <laughs> you've pulled that scab off, haven't you? Terrible. Yeah. Thanks a bunch. It's Terrible all right. Yeah, got a bandage.
2: Uh, if you have a soccer story of introspection just like that uh, please send them to setpiecemenu at gmail.com maybe don't if they're like that you can also get in touch via Twitter or Facebook please subscribe share rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find for us in your podcast schedule thank you to Rory and Andy and to Andy's dad but only for certain things and thank you to you all for listening we'll be back with another setpiece menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed
1: can't you play some like sad music like Simon Bates used to do over the top of this sad story because in essence it's poignant stroke sad
0: I think you Wait Good story you wait till the end Then you do the EastEnders <laughs> Do Do
2: Do 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 He must have about the cup final <laughs> 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 He must have really hated me <laughs> <laughs> Do Do Oh and here he is now um, <laughs> da, 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 da. Well, That would be a
0: very different Type of podcast
1: that We would summon him From the grave I think that would be Slightly tricky oh, yeah. Slightly yeah. tricky Come on Hugh of, It does because of, It's like the contrast between Again I'm getting back into it What I've got to stop haven't I
0: Maybe ah. he was worried you'd embarrass yourself.
1: <laughs> I was worried I'd embarrass myself. I maybe, just wanted to get it over with.
2: Maybe he was concerned that when you arrive as a father of one of the players, you had to wear like a name badge saying Andy's dad and then you'd completely uh, mess up and he didn't want to be associated yeah, with Yeah, David
1: you. Beckham's dad. Ted. Ted. That would have been okay, wouldn't it? But maybe he didn't want... I'm giving him excuses here. He you just are. said he'd rather watch it on TV, which I didn't notice at the time, but looking back... It makes me feel terrible.
0: <laughs> well, no, but it's funny, it's funny though. Just